This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. You're listening to the Happy as a Mother podcast. Today, we are welcoming Dr. Jessica Zucker to the show. Dr. Jessica is a Los Angeles-based psychologist who specializes in reproductive and maternal mental health. She is the new author, congratulations, Dr. Jess, of the new book called I Had a Miscarriage, a Memoir and a Movement. Today, Dr. Jess is on our show to discuss miscarriage and loss. In this episode, you'll learn things to say and not to say to somebody who's going through a miscarriage. Does it help to stay quiet or to tell others when you're going through this experience? How we manage anxiety about trying to get pregnant and possibly getting pregnant again. And you'll also hear some personal stories from Dr. Jess and from myself. That being said, I will include a little trigger warning here. Not that we go into any kind of graphic or gory details, but we do talk about our own personal losses and some of the losses of others. And I just want to be mindful that that may be triggering for some who are experiencing this or have unresolved or unhealed trauma around their own miscarriage. So something to be mindful of, but a really powerful and compassionate conversation with Dr. Jess today. Before diving into the interview, let's hear our review of the week. This iTunes review comes from Hannah and it's titled Mama or Not, Eric Offers Incredible Mental Support. Since starting my talk therapy journey a month ago, Erica's interviews and notes have accompanied this beautiful journey to self-healing. I am a mama of two and recovering perfectionist. This podcast reaffirms all of the self-compassion I'm working on in therapy. Her interviews are all on point with her mission to equip mamas with the skills they need to succeed in self-awareness and mental and emotional healing. I didn't realize how lost I was in a sea of overwhelm and control until this journey brought me here. Erica has a soothing, non-dramatic way of representing her field of maternal mental health. Thank you. Oh my goodness, all the goosies and feels with this review. Hannah, thank you so much. I am so glad that your journey brought you here and brought every other mama listening that you have stumbled upon this podcast in my platform so that we can be united on this motherhood journey in some way. I'm so honored that you're here and you share your time with me. Let's dive into our interview with Dr. Jess. Welcome to the Happy as a Mother podcast, where we are dedicated to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host and registered psychotherapist, Erica Jossa. Let's work together in letting go of shame and guilt, accepting where we are in our journey, and moving towards becoming the women we want to be. We will hear from experts, learn practical tips, and listen in on honest conversations. Please note that the information shared in this podcast is for educational purposes only and should not replace the advice of your healthcare provider. Okay, let's dive in. Dr. Jess, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. We're coordinating East Coast, West Coast, client schedules, all the schedules. So I know what it takes to work this into your time. I appreciate you being here with us. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. So today we're taking on a 
big topic. We're going to get into miscarriage and loss, a sometimes uncomfortable and hard conversation to have, but a very necessary conversation to have based on the prevalence. And I think that the very purpose of us being here is to shed some of that stigma on this conversation, right? Wonderful. Yes. So before jumping into it, one of the things I love to do with each episode is like query how you came to specialize in this work. Because I love, well, in this case, the story might be difficult, but like it's so interesting to understand the, the pain points or the experiences that bring us to these specialties. So can you help unpack your journey a little bit for us? Yeah, thank you so much for asking that. And actually, What's kind of interesting and complex about my background is actually, uh, so I'm a psychologist and I specialize in women's reproductive and maternal mental health. And I've done Mm -hmm. so for over a decade at this point. So I think people kind of, you know, assume maybe that I came to specialize in this particular field because I had a personal experience with it. And the truth is, that's not the case. Uh, So I Mm. was sitting with patients who were struggling with fertility and pregnancy and infant loss, stillbirth, you know, perinatal and postpartum mood and anxiety disorders, the whole spectrum of issues that, you know, women face when they're undertaking pregnancy and motherhood. And at that point, I just had a real sort of strong theoretical interest. I had not undergone anything that was corporeal or firsthand. Mm. And then in my second pregnancy, I ended up having a 16 week miscarriage while I was home by myself. And so, you know, kind of juxtaposed that with having been sitting with patients in the context of my office, hearing about the pain and the anguish that goes along with this and the isolation, the loneliness the self-blame, the shame, the guilt, all of these things that unfortunately uh, a lot of women report feeling in the aftermath of loss. I had heard all of these things Mm -hmm. and I had sort of empathized and I had read every book that exists on the topic, but I had yet to understand it in a real sort of body-based way until I experienced my 16-week loss. Mm Mm-hmm. So, yes, you know, obviously undergoing something like that really changed my professional lens as well as my personal trajectory in the world. And it has kind of, you know, shown a light, I guess, on just how under talked about this topic is for me. You know, like I already had known that it was stigmatized, I knew that there was kind of antiquated silence around the topic. Mm-hmm. But when I went through it myself and then started experiencing disappointing, you know, elements of these things in my personal life, I realized, wow, someone needs to be on a soapbox talking about this in a very profound and meaningful and unabashed way. And Mm -hmm. so that's sort of what I've done through all of my writing on the topic. I launched the I Had a Miscarriage campaign in 2014 with my first New York Times piece. Wow. And, you know, and then sort of built this whole, I guess, Instagram community around really challenging a lot of the notions that exist within the miscarriage conversation and lack of it. And it's an astounding statistic of like one in four, right? Yeah. Experience miscarriage. Right. And it's one in four pregnancies. So I think people think it's one in four women. 
it's an important mm, key distinction. Right. And then yeah. March of Dimes has recently updated their statistics around stillbirth. And so the number is now one in a hundred. It used to be one in 160. So I think, a, you know, a pretty staggering number as well. And so because mm-hmm. miscarriage and stillbirth and, and all other pregnancy losses are, you know, not a disease, these aren't things that we can cure necessarily that's even more the reason why we need to be talking about this because as you say, I mean, mm-hmm. that's a lot of people and a lot of people walking around in pain or walking around, you know, with this cloud potentially. Uh, and then we should be feeling a lot more connected in the aftermath of loss instead of feeling on the outskirts. I think one of the things that I have come to learn through my work, just kind of talking to women about their experience is that for one woman, what might feel like intense loss for another, they may have a different reaction. Oh, I'm so glad you brought that up. Yes. Like it's a really interesting, like we get a lot of minimizing. So for example, I had a miscarriage as well, Mm. um, fitting with the campaign name. And Mm. it was between my second and third boy. And it was very early. Mm -hmm. And I, I kind of rolled with it. I was devastated when it happened. And I felt like this was just a very mean trick on me. Like I got so excited and then I was so upset and I had like an array of emotions, but it was not traumatizing. It didn't feel like trauma. Mm -hmm. Right. And then there will be others who even in the early stages may have a very different reaction than what I had. Yes. Can we unpack that a little bit? I'm so glad you brought this up because I think that too many people make assumptions. Yeah. Oh, if you had a loss at this week or in this setting or in this, you know, situation, you will feel X or you will feel Y. And Mm. we just can't, we don't want to assume these things because as you say, each woman is bringing a different set of historical moments to this particular experience, right? So we bring our histories mm-hmm. with us through our lives. And and so, yeah, we don't want to assume that a six-week loss will, you know, break every single woman, for example, because that is just not the case at all. You know, so often it depends on the support system surrounding her. It depends, of course, on like what you said, do you have living children already? And so, you know, does that sort of help matters or make matters worse if you don't. Mm -hmm. And then for a lot of people too, if they learn that it's a chromosomal abnormality or they learn something that's happening within the body and have answers to why this occurred, that can sometimes really change the way that people interpret the experience too. Mm -hmm. So I think that sometimes we assume because Grief can be really difficult to talk about and miscarriage in general can be really, you know, it's a topic people shy away from. So maybe we assume partly so that we don't actually have to find out because that's such a valid, you know, state. It's like, and I remember before I ever specialized in this field and before I knew the things I know now, you know, those moments you wish you could go back to before you knew better. Yeah, exactly. And I had a friend of mine who was going through a miscarriage and actually she was still growing, but they couldn't find a heartbeat. And it was, Mm. I guess like the placenta was growing or the sac was growing, but there was actually no like embryo. 
in my inability to sit with her discomfort in that moment, it was like, oh, well, like, does it help the fact that, you know, there was, there's not an embryo in there, you know, like, is that, does that help you? Did you ask her that or you thought that? Yeah. Like we were in conversation about it. And in my naiveness, like, no, like she thought she had a baby in her tummy, you know, like nothing, nothing really makes it feel better, you know, but that was out of my own just guardedness or like protecting pain. Like I can't climb in that hole with you. Like that's too scary. Right. Or, I mean, one could argue from a more sort of compassionate perspective on what you were doing. I mean, maybe you were hoping to minimize the pain by sort of bringing up something that was practical and saying like, well, do you feel less badly that you lost it because it wasn't really there? But I think that no matter how compassionate we can be, like sometimes when we are in our practical minds about it, or, you know, people often say things like, well, at least you have a healthy child, or at least, you know, you can get pregnant. Yes. And it's like, I think again, people are coming from a loving and well-meaning place. But for the person that's actually going through it, it it just doesn't land like that usually. And so I think what people really do want to hear instead is simply like, I'm so sorry for your loss and I'm here if you want to talk about it. And to your point before about assuming, ask, how do you feel? You know, because people often say like, to me, wow, you know, I can only imagine like the second trimester miscarriage is like the worst case scenario. And, Mm. you know, yes, it it is. But also let's talk about it. Like asking me how I feel specifically would feel so much better than deciding how I feel about it without inquiring. Yeah. So yeah, I think when people want to like cozy up with us in our pain, just like people seem to be way more comfortable doing that in our joy. There's such potential for emotional intimacy in the friendship or in the connection or in the relationship that I think behooves us all. Mm. You know, if we can be close during difficult times, you know, that says a lot about the strength of the connection, I think. Yeah. I actually told my audience in my stories, oh goodness, this was like ages ago, for what was helpful Mm. going through like infertility or miscarriage and what was unhelpful. And the helpful statements were things like, nothing you did caused this. You know, like this is not your fault or you are not broken. That's right. Or your grief and loss is real and is valid, right? Yes. You are so strong. You know, like this is hard. This is, this is, doesn't reflect you or your worth as like a woman. Like these types of really just like connected, attuned comments. Yes. And it's hard sometimes to connect to those because I find that like pain and loss brings up our own stuff in that moment with that person. Right. And so it's kind of hard to like put our own stuff aside to just say like, I see you, you know, and this is difficult. No, it's true. And I think we just get so intimidated around things related to grief because our culture does such a poor job at integrating it into everyday conversation. And so we stumble when we want to engage in it, even when it's like a a genuine desire to really meet the person there. It's still like tempting to say something like, well, 
at least you were early on or something. And yeah, you know, so it's like, we can even say the wrong thing when we mean to say the right thing, because we're just so uncomfortable. But I do think that we as a culture can really round the corner on this topic, particularly because it isn't going anywhere. And I think that if we just stick with more basic things, like I'm here for you, I'm sorry, and I want to hear about your experience if you want to share it with me. If we can just kind of cross out the statements that start with at least, I think we would do really well. Also leaving behind things like everything happens for a reason and God has a plan, things like that. We could throw those in the trash too uh, when it comes to this topic. Yeah. Or at least you have a living child. Yeah. Anything at least. Just any. I think so. Mm-hmm. At least you have a thriving career. At least you were ambivalent about having another child. You know, these things just don't do what people hope they're going to do. And, they, and if anything, they end up really alienating the griever, which is just unfair because it's like here they are navigating this completely new terrain And they're already confused and conflicted and maybe, you know, postpartum, you know, like with hormones and all these unexpected changes. And then to have to manage these strange phrases being flung at them, it's just can be so uncomfortable. Yeah. And maybe we can go through some of the normal grief and loss feelings that people might feel and Mm. uh, what's kind of to be expected when we're grieving? Sure. Whatever you would expect one might feel when they're disappointed or when they've lost something that they were longing for or that they loved. So Mm. of course there can be sadness, there can be eventual depression, anxiety. And unfortunately what I think we skim over but is very real is the experience of anger and even rage, Mm -hmm. right? So Mm -hmm. sometimes, you know, the the more active emotions come out to keep us from falling into the depths of the grief. And so when we're angry, we're more actively engaged. And maybe that feels more comfortable for some people. And then, you know, there, there can be a lot of despair and sometimes helplessness and hopelessness. You know, the research shows that a majority of women experience a, a sense of self-blame and guilt and shame following loss, which is incredibly powerful and unfortunate. And a lot of why I got so obsessed with this topic and doing this work, because that's just unacceptable. <laughs> I mean, to me, mm-hmm. a lot of women are walking around thinking they did something wrong and they didn't. And we know this factually that they did not. But the fact that the mind goes there and that the mood can follow is very concerning. And we need to work to turn this around so that people can just feel the feelings of grief. I'm sad. I'm confused. I'm worried about the future rather than what did I do wrong? Okay, wait. So is it because I exercised? Is it because I drank wine? Is it because I had sex? Like, okay, so next in my next pregnancy, I won't do any of those things. And then I will get a better outcome. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And there's a real sort of false sense of control in this way of thinking too, which I understand. You know, I think people think like, oh, if I did something wrong, that means next time I won't. And therefore I'll have a successful pregnancy, but that's just not the case. 
It makes me think about a conversation that I had again with another friend who had had a miscarriage. She had miscarried twins at 16 weeks and like long-term friend, just huge blindside, lots of issues in the, you know, process of miscarrying. That's one of the things that I've come to learn is that like a loss is a loss. And like mine, they would have called, I guess, like a chemical pregnancy or miscarriage or something along those lines. Like it was so early on, like it's kind of the medical community kind of like discharges it as being meaningful. Right. But in my mind for a full week, I had thought I was pregnant, right? Yes. That had an impact on me being a mom of two who knew what this meant and ha- and wrestled with this for a week in my mind and altered all the things that you have to alter when you become pregnant and like, you know, was just mentally preparing myself knowing what this meant. And then for it to be gone was just so jolting to my like experience. And then have the medical community minimize that was very confusing. I feel like a loss is a loss regardless of which stage. But from what I understand is that the actual physical process looks different for the various stages that we're in. So you probably didn't have to have a DNC. Did you just, you got your period? Essentially just had like a a really heavy period that month. Right. But I think that what you're bringing up is profoundly important, but a loss is a loss because as you said, you adjusted your life in that week, knowing you were pregnant. Right. Not only do we adjust our lifestyle and the things that we eat and drink and do, but we begin to imagine this new life with this next person. We make space for them, right? That's right. Exactly. And I think that is what is missing when you just talked about the medical community and their, you know, interpretation of this or the way they talk about it. It, it of course, you know, comes off more clinical because to them, you know, it's a chemical pregnancy. From a psychological perspective, we are preparing as soon as we know that we are pregnant, as soon as we pee on the stick and get a positive. It's like, oh my goodness. Okay. So the due date is here and the room will be over there. And I wonder what the sex is. It starts in that moment. All the things. All the things. Right. So that's what I think needs to be more acknowledged, you know, within the conversation around miscarriage, because we get our hearts set Mm -hmm. on what we think is going to happen. And so then when it goes awry, it's so blindsiding. Even though we know the statistics, 104... We just, why would we think we'd become one of them? Want to get smarter about your health, but feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction? We hear a lot about gut health, microbiomes, and other nutrition topics, but taking the time to research these is exhausting. And there's a lot of misinformation out there. The Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast makes it so much easier to get the information you need. With the help of world-leading scientists, the podcast gives you research-based information so you can make informed choices for yourself without pressure and guilt. People are loving Zoe Science and Nutrition. Listener Stephanie's Apple Review says the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast is a life-changing, science-based, myth-busting podcast. That's a must-listen for anyone who eats food and wants to understand how it affects their body. With the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast, you can join Stephanie and millions of others accessing quality information about their health. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. Mealtime with kids can be stressful, but with Factors Delicious ready-to-eat meals, it can be a lot easier. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to eat 
in just two minutes. No worrying about ingredients and nutrition, no prep, no mess, and no cooking while wrangling toddlers. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular options like Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover more than 60 add-ons every week, like breakfast, on-the-go lunch, snacks, and beverages to help you stay fueled and feel good all day long. What are you waiting for? Get started today and fuel up for your springtime goals. Factor can even be tailored to your schedule. Customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Pause or reschedule deliveries to suit your lifestyle. Take the stress out of meals with Factor. Head to factormeals.com slash momwell50 and use code momwell50 to get 50% off your first box. One of the most relentless mental loads is being the juggler of medical appointments. Researching doctors, reading reviews, making phone calls to book appointments, it's a lot of stress when you're already juggling so much invisible labor. That's what makes ZocDoc great for moms. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare hundreds of types of highly rated in-network doctors, including mental health providers, and instantly book appointments with them online. ZocDoc has doctors of all specialties, including therapists, psychiatrists, and psychologists with verified patient reviews so you can make sure they check all your boxes. You can find mental health providers who offer in-person appointments, virtual consults, or both, whatever works for you. The typical wait time to see a mental health provider booked on ZocDoc is just four days. Sometimes you can even book same-day appointments. Make juggling appointments easier with ZocDoc. Go to ZocDoc.com slash momwell and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated therapist, psychiatrist, or psychologist today. That's ZocDoc.com slash momwell. ZocDoc.com slash momwell. Well, and especially after two healthy pregnancies and, you know, no infertility issues. And it makes me even think about some of my clients who have struggled with feeding infertility is that even if they don't see a line on the test to tell them they're they're pregnant, each month that they get a period is a loss. Do you know what I mean? Like That's true. So in itself, even like infertility can have some of these like lasting impacts of loss in a, in a similar, I'm going to say similar way. I'm sure it's different, but similar. Yeah. It's similar because again, we all want the same end result. Right. We want to raise a child and they continue to try and try and try and try. So I think, yeah, the loss of peeing on the stick and it not coming up positive you know, is that very moment of realizing like, nope, exactly. Yet again, nope, I don't get to have this experience. Similar feelings like of betrayal, like my body's not doing what it's supposed to do. And just like that self-blame and what if I, and then there's a whole market for moms who are struggling with fertility and all the vitamins and all the Mm. chemical free products. And some of those I'm sure have merit, but like, then we try to do all the things that we can so that when we try again next time, because we're anxious and we're hurting, right? Yeah. I think that speaks to something that isn't talked about nearly enough, which is just this idea that if we do more, we will get 
what we want. Mm. I think, you know, in our culture, we, we've been sort of taught that from the get-go. Oh, if you put, you know, you're all into something, you, you will reap the benefit. You know, we, we hear that about school. We hear that about getting the jobs we want or whatever. And when it comes to fertility and pregnancy and infant loss, that's just not true. I mean, yes, you can spend all the money on IVF. And if you're willing to do it forever, then maybe yes. But like, not everybody has access to that. And not all of our bodies are going to react well to these things. So yeah, I think it's a real difficulty when we think that if we just put more into it, or if we just eat more blueberries, or cook more of this thing, or don't drink any coffee, or whatever, like that somehow our small or large actions will result in a positive pregnancy test. I think that's a dangerous road to go down sometimes. Mm -hmm. And it's understandable that like we're trying to grasp onto certainty in this like, you know, loss and uncertainty, Yes, but it it can perpetuate that like self-blame and kind of self-critical talk that's just not helpful. Yeah, it just kind of like puts us in a position of thinking like, if you don't get pregnant, then it's like, oh, maybe I should have gone to acupuncture once more. Maybe I shouldn't have had the sip of decaf or maybe right. it's sort of like... Kind of like this magical thinking thought trap, right? Like if I had just done yes. this thing, this magical yeah. one thing could have unlocked it all for me. That's exactly right. I'm curious your stance or sort of um, ideas around this whole, we don't announce our pregnancy till we're through the first trimester. And then if we've experienced a loss, we're, we're grieving alone a lot of the time. So I have a lot of feelings about this setup, a couple of important things, you know, this idea that there is this 12 week mark, and then we are in the quote unquote safe zone is problematic in itself. Now, of course, a majority of miscarriages do take place within the first trimester. But for those of us who have experienced something else, we know too well that, you know, this is just not true, altogether true anyway. But then, you know, secondly, if the medical community is saying, well, you're pregnant, I suggest you wait to share your news until you're quote unquote out of the woods. I think if we sort of look deeper into the meaning there, it's kind of saying, well, it's good news right now. Let's be sure that it remains good news so that if it becomes bad news, you don't have to share your bad news. Hmm. And I think that really robs people of having the support they would need, whether it does turn to grief or if it doesn't, because why should we not share the joy today? Today, there's joy yeah. with the good news. And so if it becomes bad news, won't you want that same posse of people, your clan, to support you through the difficulty? Or if it stays great, then wouldn't you want to keep celebrating together? So I think if people want to keep the news to themselves and, and have a more sort of private way of going about sharing news in general in their lives, that is completely, you know, of course, respectable. And, and I get that. I find it more problematic if people aren't sharing because they've been told and taught, no, 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 hush, hush, because I wouldn't want to like have to share this if it becomes bad news because there's so much shame around miscarriage. Yeah. And I feel like that was more my experience where like, it was kind of like, well, you shouldn't tell people, 
before because what if something happens, right? And then I'm at work in freaking agony when I am pregnant and can't tell anybody why the heck I'm like a zombie, you know? And so not only could it potentially leave us disconnected in our our losses, like even in our challenges in pregnancy, we're under supported because we're not having these mm-hmm. conversations. Exactly. So did somebody advise you to not share your news or you felt like you would want to wait? It's interesting. Like in retrospect, I feel like that's like just what people did. Like that's been my experience with all of my friends and like community around me. Mm. That's just what people Mm -hmm. did. And so we kind of did that. And like my husband, when we're talking like boundaries and levels of openness, he's definitely more private. So he would have been on the more like, well, we don't have to announce it on social media ever kind of person, right? Totally. And I'm more the open person, but it's also like, it's not, it wasn't even about social media at that point. It's like, I'm at work with my colleagues and I'm throwing up and I'm feeling like garbage, right? So, yes. but I don't know where that came from. It was just sort of like a pressure that I felt to do it that way. Yeah, I think it's kind of built into the cultural fabric. Yeah, I think so. And then we do these reveals and it's baby's 12 weeks, you know, it's at the second trimester. And then I don't know, it's just it felt like something that was like, yeah, built into the system kind of like, why would we do it another way? This is how people do it. So when your pregnancies continued, you you had no worry once you passed the 12 week mark, right? You thought like, oh, I'm out of the woods. I definitely had less worry. I had less worry. I also went through some postpartum anxiety and depression, which I talk about quite openly on my podcast and other areas, like where in retrospect now, I probably had like perinatal anxiety. I had a lot of anxiety about like making sure I did things right. I definitely had less. It was like, okay, we can talk about it. Like there was like a big sigh of relief then that that could happen where, okay, this is happening, right? Like I can start to attach to this idea. That brings up another really interesting part of this conversation is that when I went through my miscarriage, which was my third pregnancy, and I, I had a fourth pregnancy, which is my third child. So none of which was planned. So I had a miscarriage, which was not planned, which was still devastating, even though it wasn't planned. And then I got pregnant right away again the next month because I guess the miscarriage messes with your cycle and your hormones. And so anyways, I got pregnant right again after. Wow. And so I'm off the tail end of just trying to unpack, am I, how do I feel about this? Like, I still don't really know. And then I'm pregnant again. And I actually didn't tell anybody, I think until like 14 or 15 weeks. I didn't, because I was like, is this a trick? Right. Am I, how is this going to, am I going to get my period? Like, how is this going to play out? Do I trust my body now? Yes. And I'm sure that this must be something that comes up for you is like, so if we have this, whether it's traumatic or whether it's devastating or loss or however we would describe it, when we come through this and then we potentially get pregnant on the other side, if we do, like, how does that impact like your clients or how, how people carry? Oh, it's so much, so much. I mean, exactly kind of how you just described it, you know, just this fear of falling in love, I think, or falling into the hope in a very sort of open way because you reserve it now. 
So thank you so much for sharing that that was an unplanned pregnancy, the miscarriage, because it's like, I think people need to hear that, Yeah, that there can still be feelings, of course, even when the pregnancy wasn't intended. Mm -hmm. And then in a subsequent pregnancy, being completely worried, or like I said, reserved in allowing oneself to become attached or bonded uh, with the potential of this next person. Because do we know? Like, how do we know after that? How do I know this is going to work out? I had a similar experience where, well, my doctor suggested that I wait three cycles before trying again. And so I did, you know, just to give my body time to rest and heal. Mm -hmm. And then I got pregnant on the fourth cycle. And, you know, it was an intense pregnancy, to say the least. Mm -hmm. I just did not feel sure in any which way that this was going to result in a live, healthy child. It did, luckily. But, you know, navigating pregnancy after pregnancy loss is something that, you know, needs additional conversation. Because again, so many people are walking on eggshells in their life. And so yes, it's one thing to miscarry and then be grieving. And then it's another to go on to get pregnant again and live in this kind of liminal space. Is this going to happen? Is this not? I'm hopeful, but I'm also terrified. I have to plan, but I also, there's a part of me that knows that this could just not work out. And that is a tough way to live. I mean, the uncertainty and that sort of rivaling of hope and fear is wild. So we need support through that. I remember describing to my husband that I felt duped. Like I just felt like this was like a mean trick. Like I got so excited and then I was like devastated. And then all of a sudden, the news of another pregnancy. And and I'm fortunate. Right. I don't take for granted how easily that came to me. So I eventually announced it because like at 14 or 15 weeks, because we were in Paris and we took the picture with us and we had the four of us, the family in front of the Eiffel Tower. And I had this sonogram photo with us. And so we took this picture mm. and I put it out there because I'm like, if if I go through a loss now, people are going to know. Like, yes. it's far enough along that, like, you know, people will know I'm showing we're on vacation. I want to share photos, like all of these types of things. And I didn't realize until after the fact that like a bunch of people who are close to me messaged me and were like, how could you put that on social media and like not tell me first? Like how, how you haven't told me. Oh. And I stopped to think about how I really like had disconnected, you know, and I think that that's a common thing that my clients talk about is like, I'm not connected yet. Like I'm not, I, I can't go there yet. And there's this sense of like, I know what's happening like logically, but I'm having a hard time really fully leaning into it. Exactly. Yeah. And I think it's, it, I, I like that you brought up the social media aspect because it's like, yeah, it's, it continues to be disconnected by sharing there. Cause it's like, Oh, hi community. But like, they're not, it's not, these aren't intimate relationships. Right. And so you're sharing, but like everyone gets to learn about it all at once. Right. Because I'm showing and they have to. And then my maid of honor, my best friend is messaging me like, what the hell's going on? How come like (laughs) you haven't had this conversation with me? Mind you, we have a boatload of kids between the two of us and life is busy and we're not as connected these days. Of course. But typically that would have been a thing that we had, you know, announced to one another first or whatever. Yeah. I mean, it really shows like the way your loss affected the way you felt about the, the next pregnancy. 
So the loss, I would say, impacted me, but I would not say that it was traumatic. And I think that this is an important distinction for us to make is that you can be grieving and experiencing loss and not feel like what you went through was traumatic. Whereas another friend of mine had a stillborn birth at 38 or 39 weeks. That was utterly traumatic and Mm. gut-wrenchingly devastating. Horrible. So I think that like loss piled on top of trauma, piled on top of more trauma and loss and all of that made that grief very complex for her. Yes. So I would say to make the distinction myself that I grieved and I had loss that I saw really play out probably more as as I was trying to attach to the next pregnancy, but I wouldn't have explained feeling traumatized by it. No, and I think that's such an important thing to bring up too because things don't have to be traumatic for us to grieve or and things don't have to be traumatic for us to want support and that things can happen in our bodies that frighten us or are bewildering, but also don't have to be necessarily traumatizing. Yeah. And we don't have to minimize our loss because there was somebody's loss who was maybe more traumatizing. That's exactly right. Yeah. We can allow ourselves our own process and our own journey of healing or grief or figuring it out, even though it may not have been as bad as or, you know, X, Y, Z as the next person. Well, and that's just the thing. Like, why why do we go to that place of comparing and contrasting losses? We don't need to. Mm-hmm. There's enough space for all of our feelings and all of our experiences. And so I do find it troubling when people say stuff like that. Like, oh, well, at least you were only X weeks along. Or, oh, wow, I can't believe you were X weeks along. I mean, it just doesn't necessarily correspond with how people feel. And so I think, you know, again, it's just best to ask and it's best not to assume and it's best to provide support for people when they've gone through something, mm-hmm. period. Yeah. And I think that maybe how we can uh, sort of summarize and wrap up today's interview is to uh, segue into what is like within the range of normal grief and loss and feelings? And when might we think about in getting intervention and or, you know, seeking therapy? Yeah, that's a good question. Although, I, yeah, it's hard to generalize only because it's so specific to each person. But I guess I would say reaching out for help, whether it's therapy or some people turn to clergy or some people turn to art or writing or these kinds of therapeutic outlets that like, if you're feeling stuck, if you're feeling in a hole, if you're feeling like the support that you do have is not enough, Mm -hmm. reach out. Easier said than done sometimes because it can be confusing and, you know, different cultures value talking about things with professionals differently. And so some people think like, I should just grin and bear it. And I got to just get through this. And like, why am I feeling these things? I should just buck up and whatever. But, you know, my feeling is when we lean into difficult feelings and grief being one of them, we just get through it faster than when we try so hard to stave it off and not feel it. So of course, being a therapist, I believe in therapy and feel like, you know, why not check it out and see if that helps the grieving process. I mean, at the very least, it can feel so, you know, enlivening and profound to sit across from somebody and to feel seen and to feel truly heard and to be able to express all the feelings without being worried that you're going to scare your partner or being worried that you've just talked your friend's ear off and you haven't asked about them or whatever. It's Mm -hmm. so nice to have 
this dedicated time and space for yourself. Yeah. And when I think about drawing the distinction, it makes me think about kind of in the same ways that we would draw our distinction with depression and anxiety. Because if our grief is becoming so deep and dark that it's, you know, becoming depressive mood and some of the things that that looks like is we are not taking care of our personal hygiene and we've slipped on feeding ourselves adequately and we're staying in bed all day. If our grief is, you know, we cannot function under the weight of our grief. It's interesting when I think about the DSM-5, like I think that they actually wouldn't wouldn't diagnose depression when we are grieving and in bereavement and have just lost right. somebody. But it can be, depending on the context of the situation and how much grief we're feeling, it can be like a depressive sort of time where we just shut down. Totally. And so if that is prolonged and if there are zero hopeful moments in a day, and if you're, you know, under the weight of that grief, then I would say speak to your doctor, speak to your therapist. Um, If you're having a hard time caring for your other kids you might have because of how your loss is affecting you, you know, these types of things, because those are indicators that that we're we're lacking in our support system and we've got some big big things to to process through that even just sitting in a room with a therapist who can kind of help give some space to that and sit with you in it completely i think that's so important and so true you can get a lot of information too from your partner you know if they see that you're starting to not reach out to friends or not engage in activity that you normally would or whatever. If this goes on too long, they can really, you know, help say like this, it looks like things are really hard and let's, let's help you here. Yeah. And some warning signs, I would say, I wrote a post on this recently. It is like, if you feel like you're not like yourself or you're feeling like you just kind of like, well, for sure, if you're having thoughts about wanting to take your own life or things like that, but if you're having thoughts about like really resenting motherhood and wanting to pack it all in and, you know, not turn up to the job. I mean, we have moments of that in motherhood. Trust me, we all have those moments. But if it's like a prolonged state of feeling that way. And I do find that like everyone's losses are so like, I feel like we could have different episodes on different stages or different types of loss or different experiences, kind of like case studies, because every person that I think of who's gone through loss, their situations have been so different and they've gone through it in their own way. And what they've needed in those moments has been so different. So I'm I'm finding it hard to even come up with like blanket sort of approaches because it's been so unique to them and their situation. But I would say that talking to somebody and and having somebody be with you in your pain. And this comes from research, whether it's like our emotional pain is felt as physical pain. And in research, it shows that when we have somebody who we love and trust and are sitting with in our pain, it soothes us, right? And makes our pain more tolerable and manageable. So talking to people that you love, surrounding yourself with a support system, and then if you need it, if you're under the weight of that loss, still reaching out um, to a professional could be some helpful approaches. Completely. Yeah. This has been a heavy, but purposeful and intentional worthwhile conversation for us to have. And hopefully brings some freedom to, to nudge someone to have a conversation, you know, with a, a support system or friend today. So thank you for taking the time to be with us. Where can we find you online? Where are you hanging out? How can we connect with you? 
Well, thank you so much for having me. And I do hope that this helps, you know, create more conversations around a topic that's not going anywhere. Yeah. I can be found on Instagram at I had a miscarriage. I can be found on my website at drjessicazucker.com. Make sure to find her on Instagram. That's how I feel like I find everybody these days. But that's how we've connected. And I've appreciated having you here and you taking the time. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. I can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week. If you're looking for the resources and things that were discussed in today's show, you can find them in the show notes, which is linked in the episode description, or you can head directly to happyasamother.co slash podcast and find all of the show notes there. If you're looking for support and connection with other moms, you can head over to facebook.com slash groups slash happy as a mother and join our Facebook community. This community is filled with women just like you and I who want to support and uplift one another through our postpartum journey. And until next episode, mama, I want you to know, keep showing up. You're doing a great job. Settling is not an option for Everything me. I desire is already mine. What if you can have it all? <laughs> because every day is for the girls. Hello, hello. Welcome to For the Girls podcast, hosted by Victoria Alario, For the Girls Who Want More. Listening to For the Girls will have you ready to raise the bar, stop settling for the bare minimum, and start believing you can have it all and step into the 2.0 version of you. You can catch a new episode of For the Girls every Monday across all podcast platforms. Until next time, girls.